So I'm at this point where uh, my office is a mess. I just got like stuff everywhere. Hole. And I need to, uh, in fact, you know, I know the listeners can't see it, but let me just show for the audience. See, I got boxes over here. I'm going to try not to show myself. And I've got this junk over here. And then here I am. Like, I just, I just got stuff everywhere. And I, I feel like I am the person who runs around in the family. And I'm like, why can't we just get rid of stuff? Right? Like, we have too much stuff. Like, I just want to ba- bag up all the kids' toys and throw them away. But here I am with all this crap. And I feel like I could go and like touch all these things and be like, I don't know. I mean, I kind of need that. Like, like I need this cool power adapter that's got three USB things on it. Ooh, so I got to keep handy. that. And I got these, uh, I got these strip lights that I, I mean, I need those, right. Even though I <laughs> don't have them plugged in. It's like, you know, I'm like that guy in the jerk. I need this pin and this lamp. I don't now, need anything. I know I got, you know, on prime day, I got some new charger and it's, of course they sent me one of these little bags with it. I know I don't mm. need that. So I should throw that out, but, but you keep them. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, I mean, I just got all this stuff that I feel like uh, I'm not going to throw away. I do have this one thing. What what would Marie Kondo say? Well, that's my point is (laughs) like, I've touched all these things. I've touched all these things. And the problem is I just like a lot of things. Oh, okay. That's, that's your your clutter brings you joy. But I want to ask you two, what do you do? to keep a uh, your desk area your work area clean is there is there a strategy that you follow a model what oh uh, what's what lifestyle do you have for that uh, I'll, I'll give you uh kind of three potential strategies one is the old uh if you're not willing to get rid of something yet because you potentially think you need it again it's just take that stuff put it in a box keep it but then put it away somewhere put that box in a closet or whatever uh-huh, uh-huh, and then uh-huh. let time pass and then if you know some amount of time goes by and you've never used it or never needed it it's probably a good indication you can get rid of it so that's like one option okay that's second good, that's option good. is if it has some perceived value and you're like you feel wasteful of uh <laughs> of getting rid of it. I actually use Facebook market quite a bit to both buy and sell things, right? So put it up there yeah, yeah. and you can do a lot of uh, porch pickup where you just leave it out. Someone leaves you maybe <laughs> five, 10, 20, whatever, some small amount of money, but that amount of money is sort of like, well, you feel better about getting rid of it. Right. And then finally, my wife turned me onto this is that for the third tier of stuff that is valuable, but you can't sell for whatever reason, there's a, like this uh, buy nothing. It's like buy give kind of group sure, where you just sure. post it. And again, that kind of is a nice feeling that you can give it to somebody and you at least you think they will appreciate it and need it. And that's another way to get things out. And again, you can do a lot of porch pickup where they just come by, grab it. And so there's really low effort for you. So that's kind of three ways to like manage stuff. I like, I like this porch pickup thing because over here you could use, uh, they have this app called Tiki, which is you basically, the way it works is you scan a QR code and it goes to a website that allows you to uh, authenticate to your bank to transfer money. I mean, this is all the fancy European banking system uh, of trans, no ACH. Uh, and so that's nice. So that would be a good, cause Kim's always selling stuff, but then, you know, you always got to go like talk to the person. She actually, uh, she jokingly, uh, what was she giving away? There was some old baby thing that she gave to someone and she traded chocolate bars for it. So we got two Tony chocolate. Oh, I hope nice. I don't have to re- I'm hoping I don't have to report that to the IRS and the Dutch. I was about to say all. like uh, Australian tax office, they're, they're going to want their cut. Ooh. That's, Ooh. that's right. I should have saved uh, whatever percentage of uh, that. I will say, I don't know if it's a cultural time. or geographical thing, so maybe it's not appropriate in Amsterdam. But, like, yeah, the porch pickup's huge. You just put it out there, and it's just like – see, like – like, gone. I, it's awesome. I mean, maybe – I would be confused by that because, you know, I, I'm still subscribed to the uh, the next door for my, my old Austin neighborhood. 
and people are constantly complaining about uh, porch thieves. You know, people stealing packages off off of. I mean, they're like people like I've got a gun and I'm waiting, and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you people? And so, I mean, literally, I would not do it because All right, be a couple things for you, like, Matt. One, <laughs> immediately delete next door. I, I think Nextdoor is actually one of the few social apps that has it should just be deleted. I mean, unless you like reading about dog poop and like uh, bad things in the neighborhood. Yes, for, for, for to, somewhere that's 3,000 miles yeah, away. Uh, I find like, you know, obviously if something is of high value to you, right, and, you know, then you would you know, want to meet someone in person. But like for like something like, you know. I don't know, under $25, $150. And it's like, no, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. have the doorbell I mean, I, I'd cam be happy to get rid of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We already, I was gonna say, we already have the doorbell cam and stuff like that. And it's like, it seems to work just fine. And again, like the next door people can all be in their own little vortex of negativity, but I'm like, generally oh. speaking, I'm not saying there are nothing bad could ever happen, but generally speaking, it seems to work just fine. So, so you're saying Facebook is the safe place from, from next door. I find, I mean, <laughs> the only thing, Facebook market, I feel like, is incredibly valuable. I really actually do use it and like it. That's the this only is the part second of Facebook. time you've recommended I know. It, I well, I'm just saying because all these things, it just gets rid of so much stuff. Just what you said. What you said before, yeah. like, you have I too have much stuff. You want to get rid of it. Yeah. Almost any other thing requires your effort. You have to take it, load it up, pack it, meet mm. someone to sell it, take it to a Goodwill or the, appro- the appropriate place. Like, all of these other things take your effort. And it's like, wow, this is some miracle. I put it outside and someone leaves me five or $10 for something I would have had to work to get rid of. And I'm like, it is a very useful service. So I enjoy it quite a bit. There you go. Brandon is very pro Facebook. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com sdt. That's cbtnuggets.com sdt. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. You know, I look through there, and I'm always wanting to learn Python more. And there's a lot of courses there where you can kind of ramp up into it and uh, even do some advanced networking things with Python. Other topics like that, I may go check that out when I'm done recording this. Anyhow, you can start learning today by going to cbtnuggets.com sdt. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. All right, Matt Ray, I was excited to read this blog post, which I vaguely remember now because I feel like it was earlier this week. (laughs) Something about did we market K-Native wrong? Yes. And I was sympathetic to this because, you know, especially since you have you're now in the uh, the K Native whatever whatever space you're in. Uh, yeah. the K space, uh, I think. Yes. I'm I'm, I'm down forward. a K hole, as what they say. That's oh, right. I'm I'm go. looking forward to to you know, as always, I'm gonna learn so much for you from you and uh, figure yeah. it out. So you're gonna figure it out and then tell me, and so that's gonna be great. But uh, I I feel like 
let let me let me just lay it out here. I think we were I we were previewing this last week, and I and and it seems like like K Native has gone through at least two, if not three, different like what is the deal here? And you kind of listed them out mm-hmm. uh, last week, and uh, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't remember the article very well. Brandon, do you remember the points? Maybe you could uh, go over it. I do. I mean, I think the the key points were just that it started out, I guess, at least from this person's perspective, uh, as being maybe too broad that it did uh, like two or three things. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like the target market inside Google was very much like people that wanted to build a platform that provided platform as a service. And, you know, at least this uh, author kind of indicates that that's probably the market for that is too small. But then there's all these other benefits of Knative that you just want to run your applications better. You know, K Native yeah. could help with that. So, I think that's when they say it's like, did we market it wrong? It seems like, at least from the author's point of view, it's like, well, that wasn't really the platform. The need for building a platform isn't as strong as just making it easier to run Kubernetes apps. But now, you know, Matt, you're the expert. So tell us, tell us what it's really <laughs> like now. Well, I, I don't know if I'm the expert, but um, you know, I, I have recently joined a, a company that that is is involved in K Native, and so. My perspective coming in as a, a new outsider um, is that initially Knative, like I recall thinking, you know, oh, Knative, it's, you know, serverless for, for Kubernetes. That was, you know, it was like you throw your junk in a container and Kubernetes is going to run it as, as a Lambda. You know, that was, that was my uninformed uh, imp- impression. And then that's what I've always uh, thought. Yeah, exactly, serverless. exactly. Serverless, you know, serverless. Knative is serverless, and initially, Knative was three things. It was it was um, serving, which is you know, you put your stuff in a container, meet an API, and it's you know, uh, acting as as a serverless thing. Um, eventing, right. which is you know, you are subscribing to uh, event sources. Like, hey, I've got events coming from this thing, and when they hit this uh, point, we're going to deal with them. Um, which is kind of a you know part of of the survey and it's like you're 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 listening for events rather than just you know i don't know i mean eventing and serving go together right lambda is very event driven um and build and and so the build part i don't even remember knowing that was part of knative and so when the tecton announcement came out i didn't i mean you know obviously we probably talked about it (laughs) and i didn't know what i was talking about but tecton was the build part of knative that was spun out so that is like their CICD building stuff uh, is no longer part of Knative. So that was like, originally it had those three concerns. And then there was the whole like licensing, you know, where is Knative going? Is it going into CNCF? Is it, you know, Google wasn't sure what they were doing with it. And so that, you know, I I don't think this article really mentioned that part much because, you know, the guy works at Google. Um, But there was some concern about, you know, what's Google doing with this? You know, can we use this to build up our thing or not? And, you know, that probably didn't help. Uh, and then of course COVID hit and like, you know, that <laughs> it just, <laughs> that just put everybody into a spin for a while. Um, but here we are, we're coming out and, and K native is uh, pretty solid. Um, it, it has some amazing, you know, scaling capabilities and, um, if you need to do you know, things with Kubernetes, uh, it, it's really easy to set up. Um, obviously, you know, I, I say that as, as a, a vendor in the space, but um, it just, it, because you're on K, uh, Kubernetes, you get a lot of the benefits of 
portability and scale and um I don't know. It, it, you know, if you're already a Kubernetes user, it's it's really easy. That see, that's the big you know. If you're already a Kubernetes user, so the key will be like, well, we need to make it more accessible. And the way you make it more accessible is you start putting front ends on it and turning it into like a pass, or you know. So and, it sounds and like that's, you, you're agreeing yeah. here with like. So it sounds like if I'm I just a Kubernetes yeah. user and I just want to run applications on Kubernetes and I want it to be easier, I think you're basically saying like this. This person says that like. Yes, K native will do it's that great. for you. That oh, K native. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's great. the because it does seem like this. It seems at least you know maybe I just read it wrong or my impression was this more like oh well this is the way you add serverless to to uh, Kubernetes and then you got to do some more work. But you know it really says you know and, and from this perspective it's like no no this is just a, a simpler way to package up applications and everybody that wants to do that should be doing it. So the I mean his whole point right seems yeah. to be like that's the real market, right? Don't worry about this. Don't get distracted about building a platform as a service. Just make your life easier with your own applications. I, I think I think a lot of places over I mean this is not specific to Kubernetes or Knative. A lot of places try to over engineer up front. They don't just say like what am I trying to solve? What'll solve the next three problems I have? Can I do that? Instead they're like, you know what we need? A platform team. <laughs> and we're going to build a platform and we'll have a three-year roadmap where we're going to onboard internal applications and we're going to do this, this, and that. And, you know, I've seen that many times because, yeah. you know, that's, that's the enterprise world I was living in. But, you know, if you are a, you know, if you have Kubernetes, um, you know, or you're using, you know, one of the, the hosted versions of it, it's really easy to just roll this out and start using it immediately. And, you know, I, I, my experience, like onboarding onto Kubernetes and Knative is like, I haven't had to learn a ton on the Kubernetes side to get, you know, useful stuff happening with Knative. So basically, you have a standard for doing serverless stuff and the code for sucking in and transmitting events. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there, there are APIs and standards around it and Google's Cloud Run. Um, implements the APIs. Uh, it's not the same code under the the covers, and so right. you know there there's some divergence there. So, you know it's it's the uh, the Active Directory to your and then does it is it actually like the code or is this one of those Kubernetes things where now I need to actually get the code that does the stuff instead of you still it just got it. Being... You were all right. It's like we we have now implemented you know, these APIs for you. So you can do, you know, whatever you throw in here is going to do whatever you've just told us to do. And what that means is like, well, you know, do I still need my own like serverless framework? What languages am I going to use? It's like, that's not Knative's problem. You're right. They're just like, you know, we're implementing these APIs. Anything you toss into this black box is going to be well-behaved and we'll scale to zero and, you know, we'll give you a thousand of them or, you know, if, if you need, you know, the magic of Kubernetes is there and we're trying to isolate people from the magic, right? There's, or, or not, you know, from the, the uh, not magic. We don't want you to have to look under the covers. Right, the complexity, just abstract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Complexity. It's, it's, well, it I, seems I, I should like do, good... I should do some homework and go look at some actual, I mean, there's some book that I read, but it's like two years old now. So who knows if it's relevant anymore, but I should uh, go do some homework Which book? and look at it. I don't know. It's like K-Native. <laughs> K-Native in action. <laughs> Yeah, which is like free that. from VMware. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably why I read it because it was, it was free. I do think yeah, in the no. article, it was funny that the one thing, uh, I feel like this comes up over and over in Kubernetes, is it's, uh, something to the effect of uh, our project depended on SGL. 
But then we determined that was too complicated. Yeah, and we took yeah. Istio out like in the K native. I, I just, I don't know for a fact. I've read that multiple times. I just maybe feel like I have, but it, it does feel like, oh, wait a minute. Istio is like, you know, bringing in like, you know, just a whole pile of, I don't know, 50 plus packages. And then everyone well, that does that is like, oh, we made it too complicated. We'll, we'll give you a smaller, yeah. simpler version. So K native seems to suffer from and, that as well. And that's, that's kind of my impression is like, I'm coming in post the 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 struggles right the struggles of you know oh all the growing pains of you know hey we needed six vms to run istio now it's just kind of like oh you just you know toss this package in and you're good to go you know it's already packaged up for you and you know nice helm charts or you know caps or whatever and it just works you know and before they're like does your kubernetes have all these things you know so i want to pick on something the the thing that stood out for me and, and you mentioned it matt ray is there's another phrase let, let's let's do a little uh, whatevering retrospective. Should should we have ever gotten excited about the phrase "a platform for building platforms"? I feel like I feel like there's something going on there. And and I was thinking, I'm remembering, I was thinking about this recently. And I think what we leave off of that is a platform for building platforms for vendors. Like people left those two last words out of it, and then I think that just confused <laughs> the fuck out of everyone for like five yeah. years. They didn't realize I, that, like, when we say that, we don't mean you building a platform. We mean you buying our platform that we have built on top of this. And, yeah. and, and, then, and then you end up basically, because you left those two words off the end, you basically end up setting up your, uh, your DIY competition uh, forever. And uh, exactly. that's delightful. I mean- this this is the same problem people had with OpenStack is mm. you know you know the OpenStack people you had you had this you know confluence of like oh I'm a cloud vendor who can't compete with Amazon let's all join together and we'll have this open source platform that us huge vendors can run and then you had like you know the small people like me who were like I'm going to run this on six boxes in my office right and they probably weren't meant to be the same right and and. Now coming into Kubernetes land, I'm like, it's the same thing again, right? You've got like, you've got your, you know, Amazon and Azure and Google and, you know, a dozen other vendors who are like, we're building, you know, a platform for other people. And, you know, the big cloud vendors are like, yeah, so they don't have to ever care about it. And then you have the middle people who are like, so we can sell it to them and they'll care about it. And then you still have the, the, the long tail of people who are like, like me who are like i'm gonna run on six boxes in my office and it probably isn't meant for the six boxes in my office and you know there's still a lot of people in that middle section of you know of the open shifts and uh you know the tanzus who are they're going to run it on premises they're going to run it in their data centers and there's a whole lot of complexity that you need to shield them from because stuff is not easy I mean, you know, there's a reason there's Kubernetes the hard way. And, you know, for most of us, that's the hard way. And you shouldn't come and deal with this. And you should just get to the business of putting your stuff on top of it. And there's still even a barrier to, you know, oh, I want to run, you know, I want to build a platform on top of Kubernetes. Like, do you really? I mean, why don't you just get it from somebody else? You know, or why don't you just simply run your apps without trying to rebuild a pass? You know, that's the problem. It's like not everybody needs to build a pass. Now, now we um, could look at a, a case study also this week. I think uh, someone dug up that HEV 
our beloved HEB. They, I think they've built a platform for building a platform of a platform. They're, they're running their own <laughs> Kubernetes, I think, if I yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. Which, which uh, I remember at some point meeting with them and that, that makes sense. This is, yeah, it, they, they seem like they were people who wanted to build their own stuff, which is fine. But th- did they, uh, I'm like, Going through the, did they have a, were they using a, a commercial vendor? Did they actually roll their own? You know, I was scanning for it quickly, but I feel like they, they put together their own stuff. I think they, yeah. I mean, the, the thing about rolling your own is like, that's a big commitment. I mean, just like all these other, you know, people stand up their own open stack, stand up anything. It's hard to hire people who understand this stuff. And the, it, you have to have like a critical mass of those people because there's a high bus factor, right? If, if one or two of them leave, you know, you're going to be left with like, holy cow, what did we build? You know, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're HEB and, you know, they probably have a fairly large IT staff, right? They, they probably have, you know, an SRE team to go with their operations team because, you know, I, IT is very important to what they're doing. But if you are, you know, a small company, you know, I, I just, I, I really question the value of rolling your own Kubernetes because, you know, they they just announced they moved to a, a four month upgrade cycle. That's still really fast. You know, that's still, you know, and it's still hard to find, you know, people who understand and, and are, you know, ready to operate Kubernetes at scale. And do they want to sit around and babysit your, your bespoke system or do they want to like actually run applications that are important to the business? We, right? we should so get I, one at some of these HEB, maybe we can get the CIO of HEB on here. We should just talk to them and be like, just, just, Hey, let's just, Hey, this is, this is the big conversation going on. So just, uh, let us learn from you. I do think, but to back to your original comment, Kote, like, I do think if we go back to like around the time Kubernetes got popular, I think it was one of those things where I don't know if it was intentional or not. I think it's just like, you know, if we go to all the conferences, like you had the Netflix and Airbnb and Twitter, like everyone's saying like, Hey, this is what we've done and this is how we've achieved the scaling that's sort of like, you know, built on containers and then Docker stuff comes up and then Kubernetes. So I think it's just one of those things where people were sort of introduced to it kind of in the deep end was like, well, this is what, this is what we're doing. This is what the, the biggest websites that everyone is talking about and digital transformation is doing. Um, and that's been a long time ago now, but I do think that maybe set the wrong tone, right? That was like, well, if you're serious about digital transformation, you've got to do it, right? So maybe HEB started on that project then. Um, but now, yeah, now it seems kind of crazy, right? Like why, you know, there's just way too many people um, doing it probably for the wrong reasons. But, you know, I don't want you get these projects rolling. Very hard to stop them. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely like this, you know, sunk cost fallacy of like, well, we've put in so much effort into building this past, we got to keep using it. And I've seen like $100 million projects like that, you know, at a couple of large banks around the region. And they're like, well, we just keep paying IBM and it's bound to pay off. And it's like, no. <laughs> you know, cut your losses, move it to Azure, move it to AWS and, you know, just eat it because you have so many engineers and so many, you know, operations people who their job is babysitting Red Hat 6. And that is so <laughs> useless. You know, it's like, let's just quit it, you know, and I don't know where they're going to hire the people because they've got a lot of Red Hat 6 engineers, but Man. I think you make a lot of good points, but I think uh, cutting you cutting your losses does not tend to get you promoted. So that that's that's part of that problem. <laughs> no, no, no. See, that, that's the key. At the low level, like you know, they're 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 just worker ants, right? But 
you know, the, the, the queen, the queens are, are the CIOs, the CTOs are like, you know what, I'm going to jump to another company, sell them this vision and, you know, three years, I'll do it again. And, you know, I'll jump to another company and leave them with, you know, this half, half upgraded, you know, pass, you know, cause hopefully, hopefully the CTOs on that, you know, uh, that round robin jumping around train, hopefully they've all moved <laughs> off of the build my own pass to migrate to the cloud, you know, that big initiative, but, you know, cause we've all already all moved past digital transformation, right? Kote? I mean, I feel like you're a month into this new job and you're already bitter about DIY Kubernetes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm bitter about infrastructure. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by StrongDM. Are you managing a gazillion SSH database passwords and Kubernetes certs? How do you manage an audit at that scale? Meet StrongDM the only way to simplify infrastructure access and audit controls across any environment, no matter how diverse. StrongDM extends any SSO to centrally manage access to databases, servers, and Kubernetes clusters, so onboarding and offboarding can be done in a single click. Escalate privileges with just-in-time access and automatically log every query and command. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi, StrongDM is the only way to manage access and audit controls at scale without disrupting your workflows. Start your 14-day free trial at strongdm.com slash SDT. There's no credit card required. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, related to that. So first of all, Brandon, I have decided that you... I don't, I'm not trying, I don't know who the old was, but you are the new star of the Software Defined Talk podcast. I listened to your episode with Brian Gracely in the Cloudcast, and it had me reflecting. And I think you, you're just not only by editing and uh, doing our taxes, but I think you're carrying the show now. Now, now Matt Ray is like, he's like, he's like the brain. He's that guy in the, uh, the black clothes with all the metal around, you know, he knows what's going. Uh, I always thought of myself as more the, the flavor flavor. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and I, I'm clearly the goofball of the show, uh, the but I think, uh, I think, I think you're all around doing stuff there. That was a great episode. The, the hot takes with Brian there. And uh, he, I loved his joke at the end. He's like, "We can take our asbestos suits off." That was uh, that was good stuff. And I just I just want to say, Brandon, if if we need to give you a raise or more equity so you don't uh, quit and go to the cloud the cloud cast, we sh- we should discuss that. That's all fine. right. Well, I'm working on it. We'll see. We'll see. You know, we'll see what kind of offer you know Brian and team brings. Brian and Aaron, you know. So now on on the other side, you know, in addition to Legacy Conf, we're gonna we're gonna have an exclusive uh, Hill Country event every year where we invite the iBankers and venture capitalists oh, and other definitely. people. Right? Yes, we are. Yeah. You know, I hot tubbing with iBankers and uh, licking microphones. I think is is what we're gonna call it. And uh, I think maybe on the other side of this, we might, there's, I, might, I think there might be some synergies we can unlock if we, if we worked closer with them. We could consolidate maybe on our podcasting bill, saving <laughs> perhaps $30 a month. And uh, I think, you know, what I, my understanding is that if I also founded PayPal, I could take that $30 a month and put it in a Roth IRA and make a billion dollars. over Five billion. Years. Actually, it's up to five billion. Five billion. But yes, yeah. correct. You can do that. Can I just, can I, I want to get to the topic I was going to get to, but can I just, uh, a little bit, I, I appreciate what the ProPublica people are doing with this tax stuff, but they should summarize in three to 10 bullet points at the beginning, exactly what the heinous stuff is. Like I had to scroll through that Peter Thiel thing and they got all this fun animated transition shit in it until I finally found out way at the end, like, okay, what's the deal here? And then when they explain it, it's like, oh yeah, I mean- 
that's kind of immoral, kind of sort of, but also understandable. I mean, it's like, I see how that happened, the mechanics of it. It's not like something illegal was happening. It's just like, oh yeah, there's some nuttiness. And then also he was a founder of PayPal. So I feel, I feel like step one in, uh, you know, being a billionaire, uh, found (laughs) PayPal and, and, you know, (laughs) be be very early and, uh, you know, all sorts of things like that. So, however, what I wanted to comment on is I think the most interesting part is, uh, of that episode you had is when you were very connected to K native, uh, I think, I think you and Brian brought up this point is like, and he's, he kind of started with it is, uh, like everyone's always talking about going after developers and then you ask them, well, which developers? And like, I think this, you know, I don't think about this enough, but this is a good point uh, that like, and it's something we kind of talk about how developers don't spend money and things like that. And uh, you know, his point, and then as you were adding to it as well, is that there are many types of developers, right? Developers that write all sorts of things, work in all sorts of things, uh, um, jobs, positions. And it's kind of, difficult to lump developers all together and just say we're going to attract developers right and i think i think i think there's two things one you know the uh the pretty easy to think about one is like should there be a software defined talk recommended policy in our book of how to you know think about the world uh that is basically whenever you say developers you must specify which type of developer right like we can no longer just refer to developers generically, we need to specify. And then second, you know, what, like, is it, is it wise to say, well, let let me just put it this way. Like, is the red monk theory correct of developers? Like, I feel like it's difficult. Like, I don't know. I think it may be just a theory that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't work. But I feel like what we've experienced in the past, I like to say five years, but in the past five years is that really it's the operators and the VP of infrastructure. That's the Kingmaker. Like they seem to be the ones who in the VMware era, they, they bought into that in the Microsoft era, they bought into that, you know, uh, teams is up to however many million, 125 million active users a day. That's not developers driving that. (laughs) And, uh, and then, and then, you know, also Kubernetes is, I mean, I think Kubernetes is this interesting loophole because I feel like, despite what we were just saying, developers did drive a lot of that interest. But now, in a classic fashion, yeah. they've kind of sort of handed it off to operations to be successful. Bringing, I think, maybe, I'm, I'm refining this as I'm talking. So I think developers are important in kingmakers. But I think what developers do is they, I don't know how to say it in Latin, so I'll say it in English. They operate under the principle of, that was your mistake, and it's now my problem. Uh, and yeah. I think maybe that's more of where the flow is, is that you want to have developers, there's developer drag, but it's hard. You have to be more nuanced than necessarily saying that, like, you know, developers are well, are the big thing. Well, as you were starting this, uh, you know, you're obviously trying to wind me up. Um, the <laughs> the uh you were talking about, you know, the developers as, as the tastemakers, but in my mind, I was like, actually, there's, there's two camps of developers, right? They're the free range ones who are the ones who are off in like their little tiny startups and they're, they're doing all the, you know, the, the hot and cool stuff and, mm-hmm. and they're the tastemakers, but they're not paying for software. And then you've got like the captured ones in the enterprise who are, you know, they're the, the caged, <clears throat> the, what's the opposite of free range, the, you know, the, the caged chickens laying their eggs in the enterprise who 
you know what? They're going to be coding and, you know, Java or, you know, .NET, you know, because that's what the company uses. And yeah, yeah. they're not making the choice in, you know, a lot of the things they do. They're just there to, you know, clock in, clock out. And that's, you know, that's the enterprise developer. And so, you know, you've got these two poles of, you know, you're free range and you're caged. And then who's deciding what goes into the cage? And that's that's where the operators are. You know, that's and, the and CTOs. It, yeah. Yeah. And I think I think you're also making me think. So I'm I'm adding, I started with the extreme thing and I'm adding more nuance to it. And I think I think the very nuanced phrasing is that the operations people should be making choices that allow developers to do a good job where like, and, and, you know, if you can align, if, if you can get the developers like set up and ask them what they want, then that's cool. But it does seem like we're, and obviously like you want to have tools that like developers in their own way want, right? Like that the middleware is good and the tool chain is good. Mm-hmm. That's stuff that they use, but it seems like, if the bulk of spend is in infrastructure as it always is right then like at the very least you have a uh you've got two kings or two queens or a king and queen or two two eens if they don't recognize yeah you know if if they're if they're non-binary royalty or whatever but you've got this uh what what was uh you know did they ever have a a, a roman uh imperate that was two i don't know what that would be called but there at least there was three that ruled at some point and so that's more as the name says of devops right dev dev developers and operations are the kingmakers and you can't just put all your chips in on on developers necessarily and no and and it, so it seems like that would be the uh, the the wiser sort of approach to go after the, those two people instead of always being like it's it's only the developers and the developers and then also like you know maybe it makes the operations people feel more loved but anyways <laughs> that's my layup Brandon I think I think <laughs> okay. uh, I think I think you had a pretty good uh, a, a pretty good response and you spend a lot of time uh, marketing and thinking through developers right so what uh, I, I mean. Like, is it, do we need to go after the developers or do we just over-rotate on that because it sounds cool? Or like, what do we do with this? Like, where do developers actually fit into like the big infrastructure decisions that are being made? Or or do they not fit in infrastructure and they fit somewhere else of equal importance, but it's not that layer? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's interesting. As you guys were talking there, I think back to uh, Andy Jassy, right? And AWS, they always like to say builder, right? They, they try to make it more generic, right? Just you're a builder. Mm. Um, and, but I, I guess, you know, where I come down on this is just more around developers will definitely help set the agenda, right. About like, what are the things that need to be managed and what will your ops or your team ultimately need to buy? So I think if we go back in time, it's sort of like as developers wrote more complicated applications that needed to scale, they needed more servers, setting the stage for the need for VMware, right? So if you think about other programming models, maybe that could have gone a different direction. And I think, you know, and I think I brought it up on that episode of the Cloudcast was in our kind of, you know, being in technology, I think there was a time where it's like, hey, Java got extremely popular and that did dictate a whole set of spend, right? Java would be built yeah. on app servers and app servers need to run on infrastructure. And that really did dictate a lot of spend. Now, since then, though, I think it is heavily fragmented. So I think at this very moment, right, I think to your question, it's there isn't like a dominant programming model that I think like existed around Java and maybe something will eventually, you know, 
emerge. But right now it's sort of like pick your own runtime, pick your pick everything that you want. Uh, maybe you containerize it, but it's so broad and so vast to your original question here. It's like, there's so many different types of developers that kind of, I don't think you can go after any one group of them, at least from a perspective of trying to target them to buy a specific set of products or solutions, right? It's just too diverse. Now, I do think uh, what the whole industry is saying is to, to what Matt was saying earlier was everyone wants to be out of all this infrastructure. So if there is a, a development model, whether it be K-native or serverless, event, whatever, if there's something that can be built on top of this that can, if you will, catch fire, become very popular, um, it does feel like the industry, industry is waiting for that, right? And then we will all coalesce on that. And then that will become whatever that thing is that runs this will become a place that's extremely valuable to own, right? Whether you yeah. host that as a cloud provider. But right now it's just, and uh, as I think I said, probably said this on the other podcast as well, it's just like, that's why you have 17 ways to deploy a container in AWS, right? Is that right, right. they are trying to figure it out, just like all the vendors are trying to figure it out. So until such time, like, I think you have to keep watching it, but it's still so fragmented that I don't think today it makes a lot of sense to quote unquote target the developer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think so. So I think what I'm going to ponder on is that is that developers are obviously important, but I think I think the the to kind of, a little bit of to connected to what you're saying is what really needs to be different is the way operation thinks about itself and what they're doing. Uh, you know, the the operations people, because I mean, I can see in a public cloud scenario that developers are important because there is no operations. I mean, I'm overstating it, yeah. right? but like, but essentially you are, if you're providing a public cloud, you are kind of selling to the end consumers of a thing. Now, obviously there's intermediaries and, and like, you know, help desks and stuff in there of, of what you're using, but I don't know if this is true, but I would imagine that the, the majority of consumption of public cloud, well, majority is the wrong word because you could just be lift and shifting VMs there and things like that. But sort of like individual team developer and team choices drive a lot of what people are using from public cloud versus if you're doing something that's more uh, private cloud or whatever people say nowadays, then sure, you still have to build that cloud, right? So, so the people who build the infrastructure are important uh, in those scenarios, but yeah, I, I I think maybe I don't know I don't know I get I get confused when I think about developer stuff <laughs> well, despite my extensive background in uh, in that area. But but I think I think if you're on the public cloud, you've given the developers the choice. I mean, yes, right, there are 17 right. ways to deploy your 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 application to a container, and but the thing is, like that choice has been taken away from operations, right? Yeah. Operations now knows, okay, we are on AWS. We deal with making sure the AWS backend is hooked up to whatever it is, but the developer comes in and they're like, hey, I'm on the AWS console. I'm now presented with you know, 200 choices and I'm going to do this because the company you know, that I work for has given me these choices. And so you know, when you are in the public cloud, you are targeting the developers because the operations people aren't going to be like, no, 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 don't use right, Pulsar, right, right. AppPilot, you know, Proton, whatever. You, know, you just... You end up coming to them and you're like, we're using this. How do we make sure it's hooked into IAM and it has all the right, you know, CloudWatch stuff? You know, so the developer has made the choice for how they're going to manage their app. I mean, you know, your operations team has, you know, they're going to have some influence over that, but you know, they're they're more like SREs. They're not 
you know, they're there to influence how developers are rolling out their apps and making sure they're well-behaved and stuff. But the choice of technologies, you know, they're, they're not able to go to the AWS console and say like, no, 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 developers are only, I mean, that's an internal struggle, right? They're, they, they can go and say, okay, there's 17 choices, but we only want to support these two. You know, that, that's a harder, that's a harder, that, that te- puts a lot more power in the developer's hands. And I think the public cloud approach gives a lot more power to developers. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, because they can show immediate success. They can be like, look, I stood it up on AppRun or Proton or, you know, wherever, and it's just working. You know, when things are just working in operations, you know, backyard already, it's a lot harder for operations to say, no, 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 don't do it that way. Because you're like, look, you told us we could use AWS. It's already up and running. Now what? You know, what's yeah, your problem? I, I guess an analogy even higher up the stack higher up than developers is just like, you know, SaaS stuff where you can just in any, anyone in a bit, well, anyone, and you can just sign up for a SaaS thing and it'll just start working. And then you can kind of like go to your IT people and be like, so this just works and you have nothing. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I've, I've, what, how I've do you, signed what, up for this say, right? and it, and it does what I want and uh, everything's fine. So I made the choice. And now in, in both cases, like, you know, the, the implied thing is like uh, the long-term manageability and maintenance ability of that stuff, which is fine. I mean, that, that has to be a, uh, a feature that the people selling this stuff uh, provide and go over. But maybe to your, your original question, it's like maybe, maybe what really is the, the thing you're getting at is like, we just talk about developers too much in proportion to everything else. The truth is everybody matters. The CIO definitely has a say, right? What are they going to fund? Ops has a big say about what they're supporting, what they want to do. The business people picking the applications that they want to to uh, to actually use, right? The developers writing the code. So I think there does seem to always be like every few, I don't know, weeks, months, there's like someone's like, oh, the we need to do develop more, more developer marketing as if it's like, you know, this special thing that like exists only unto itself. And it's just like, well, really, it's it's always a group of people trying to figure all of this out. And you really need to be like talking and communicating to all of them. It's not like any, like that idea that any group is the kingmaker is probably just a misnomer. It's a good line though. I mean, I like the line, um, but it's probably, (laughs) you know, when you really get down to it, it's like, no, most places are more complicated than having one kingmaker. Are are you saying we're in some sort of messy democratic environment? Cause I don't, I'm not feeling that. I still feel like, you know, the enterprise is, it's not very democratic. It's, you know, there's a, well, do you think the developer, okay, in that, yeah. so to ask your question, then, is the developer the kingmaker of the enterprise? No, this is, this is when, when so, we get the, when we get the HEB CIO on, we need to have this conversation, right? be like, who, <laughs> who drives like, the decisions uh, in, in HEB? I mean, and obviously it's not going to be one answer all the time, but like, let's walk through. So this thing did, uh, was it developers doing this or operations people or developers became operations people or what? Uh, Cause you, you know, like, I don't feel like the early Kubernetes marketing was like, uh, Kubernetes is for operations people, <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't think, I don't know if that was really said very uh, explicitly, but anyhow, anyhow, that, this, this is something we should monitor throughout the rest of the year is what is the, uh, let's get a better understanding of what developers means and uh, how that, how that uh, works out. We need to do a historic study of for every large infrastructure and and development tool sort of trend of the past 20 years 
how was that really driven? Like how, how was, was that in, was that influenced by uh, like one set of people? Or I think, I think shockingly optimistic and inclusive uh, as Brandon was there. Was it just everyone? Everyone is uh, <laughs> rowing the same boat. So we, now finally, the last thing I want to uh, close out on will be, will be a little long here because I was reading through the, uh, let's see, the Silver Lake did uh, uh, bought $1 billion of senior convertible debt in Splunk. Now, I only barely know what convertible debt is. And I'm assuming senior means that, you know, as they say, God forbid, if the if Splunk goes bankrupt and they got to fire sell the asset, I think senior would mean like you're one of the first people in line to get to get yeah. the you know the air on chairs, get your money, or whatever. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, and so so that's cool. You know, it's not going to happen. That's very doubtful. But w- I wanted I I'm no Matt uh, Levine or Levine or whatever. I don't understand any of this stuff. But it seems to me so so basically Splunk got a loan that I think comes due in 2026. That's or right. something like that. Yep. And they pay 0.75% interest, which first of all, where can I get a loan like that? I would enjoy a, uh, I'm high growth, right? Like I, <laughs> I could be high growth. I want a 0.75% uh, loan. Uh, maybe I can call up Egon uh, over there at Silver Lake and, and, and see if we can sort something out. But it seems like, so, so Splunk gets a loan for a billion dollars. Yep. So but then also in the same press release, they say that the board has authorized a billion dollars of share buybacks over the coming years. So what that sounds like to me is they're just, they Silver Lake gave them a billion dollars to do share buybacks and they have a guarantee. The, the sell price, I think from the press release was $160 a share, which as they note is a 30% premium over a 10 week something or another, Moving average, which is yep. great. Correct. Yep. So, so essentially they've, you know, like it seems like so is this just some spreadsheet macro stuff where like if we do a billion dollars of share buybacks over the next coming couple of years plus just like splunk does some good stuff then essentially we're gonna get like a 30 percent return on that billion dollars like yeah, so probably so a couple things and, and then and then to mm-hmm. to interject finally the brand the typical brand t- typical not in a bad way but the excellent branding question is like could you have just spent that money on product like, so, yeah. so I don't know, like what, what is, what is, uh, what's the deal here? All right. So I tried to like dive like into something. this a little bit, uh, to, cause I had a lot of the same questions. So one, uh, just kind of point is like the reason you're not going to get that interest rate Cote is you're not selling a convertible note that at least that I know of, you don't have the ability to, in three, five years, convert that debt into stock in like Cote enterprises. So that's maybe what there's a course, maybe there's a course in CVT nuggets that would tell me how to do that. That would be true. But the, today you don't have it. So what they really are doing um, to, to channel a little bit of uh, Matt Levine from uh, Bloomberg would be they're buying what a, a call option, right? They're basically mm. buying, I'm going to give you a billion dollars for, and I'm gonna have the ability to call you out of the stock at 160 because in 2026, I believe the stock's gonna be worth significantly more, right? So that's yeah, why yeah, you're getting yeah. such a good interest rate is that the bet is I'm gonna charge you a tiny bit of interest, but I'm not really trying to make money on the loan because I want all this money to convert to common stock and I will convert it all as long as it's above 160. And I'm betting because it's so far in the, in the future that maybe this will be worth say $250 per share or $300 a share. Right. right so if right. you believe, if you, if you believe your uh, the stock is undervalued now, you're getting a really preferential call option. So that's really, I think the Silverton point of view. Now the Splunk point of view Silver is Lake. 
So, thank you. <laughs> that silver did much smaller. They would not do that. Silver Lake. Um, now the Splunk point of view on this is their stock is down and basically down, you know, compared to the market, you know, I think over like, this past year, like 30%. So they are definitely having some pricing pressure on the stock. People are not as excited by it. So they probably feel like they're undervalued by taking the money from Silver Lake right? They get a, an immediate kind of a vote of confidence that Silver Lake yeah, yeah. believes in the company. I think Silver Lake got a couple, at least one board of directors seat, right? Along with yeah. it. So now you feel like you're being stewarded by a really successful company uh, that has, um, you know, history of making companies better. And you basically are saying that we're going to take that money and be able to reinvest it in the business. But yeah, I agree. Like what they're going to basically do is use the billion dollars to prop up their own stock, buy it back, convince people that their company is doing better. Right. And that will make the entire value of the stock for Splunk to go up. So at the end in 2026, when, you know, maybe the stock is double what it is now, they're happy to pay that premium because they're going to say that call option helps stabilize our business, give investors confidence that we're going to grow. And that was, you know, a turning point. So that would be like the most optimistic version of it. The pessimistic right, version right. would be Silver, uh, Silver Lake is doing it at the, the wrong at the wrong time. They're buying at the hot, you know, they're buying this call option that essentially Splunk isn't going to grow. It isn't going to be worth more money. And they're just going to be stuck with a really low interest loan and get a tiny bit of interest on that over this next, uh, say, four year period. I so see, I time see. will okay. tell. Okay. So, so the risk on Splunk's part is that in 2026, Silver Lake could ask for cash instead of no, they can stock. convert to stock, right? Or they'll or they have to pay the loan back. Yes. Right, right, right. right. So Silver Lake could be like, oh, your stock's at like fifty dollars. Yeah. So just share. pay the loan. Pay the, so the just, more, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then that's 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 a bummer for Silver Lake because obviously they can make a better return uh than point seven, you know, than than point seven five percent on on that money. So it would have been, you know, a loss, yep. more or less, right? Like a uh they call it a counterfactual loss that things would have been better <laughs> if this had not happened. Uh, so that's the risk that Silver Lake has. And basically Silver Lake has no other risk except opportunity cost of like we could have. Yeah. Stopped. I mean, but the worst case is they're going to, I mean, like you said before, the, I guess the, the absolute back. worst case Splunk goes out of business and they do get the area and shares right, right, to right, your thing, yeah. but they're yeah. first in line to get their money back. But worst case is like, it is it's five just, years. Yeah, yeah. The billion dollars that they spent here, what would have been better spent just like putting in an index fund or just doing something else with it. Right. 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 And, and then, and then, so the worst case, not worse, but the bad scenario for Splunk is, well, is that they have to get rid of their air on chairs. So there's that. And the second the the second worst case is that we have a billion dollars and then we are legally obligated to give it to Silver Lake. So we we finally had this pile of cash and now we have to give it to Silver Lake. Yeah. Right? And I think so, it's really more like what the opportunity they had to buy back stock and do other stuff with the cash. Nothing comes of it. They don't add right, any right, quote right, share right, 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 holder right, value. Right. And then yeah, it's just like you just wasted Wasted time right. and money. And 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 then the third, and maybe it's not so bad, but then the third thing is that if if their shares do get to like 250 or 300 a share, then they are, I mean, they're paying a crazy big premium to Silver Lake. And they could have instead issued whatever shares they have on hand and uh, benefited from those. And then, of course, there's also like, I mean, I wonder, like, I always wonder about these kind of things. Because then like, so if Silver Lake then converts a billion dollars of 2021 money into the shares in 2026. I mean, it's really hard to just like dump that amount of shares on the market without affecting the price. Right. So then you well, got another problem. Like 
Then if you get all these shares, like, what are you going to do with them? You can't well, this sell is, them all then, at once. You know, what, hey, the investment bankers are here to serve. Like, then they would just do a secondary, <laughs> right? Then they would just say, oh, we want to we wanna do a, a block trade. So to your point, say Splunk is doing extremely well, right, mm-hmm. in, in 2026. And uh, so that Silverton note converts. So they can go to Silverton and say, hey, wait a minute. I don't want you to dump all this stock in the stock market because we're doing great and we don't want that. So I'll just buy it from you. And the investment bankers would come up and be like, yeah, for $5 billion, uh, you know, which maybe, maybe it would be a slight discount to the market or a slight premium, like a one or 2% premium. They'll say Splunk right, today right. bought for a 2% premium. They bought a equivalent of $1 billion worth of stock uh, returning say $3 billion to Silverton and it's all done. And everybody will be excited because the Splunk executives will say, this was such a good deal because with this deal, it's what led to all this growth. The Silverton right, right, people right. will, will love it. So for, Yes, Silver Lake people will love it because they'll say like, "Look, we turned a billion dollars into three billion dollars, and everybody goes home happy." So I like I like that. It's, it's like the old scrum dictum that a story card is just a reminder to have a conversation later, and that's basically <laughs> what all investment banker deals are. Is we're just not all, but like this is just like, well, at some point in the future, we'll have a conversation. And oh, absolutely. Out what we do about right. I mean, for and, sure. Right. To your point, because, you know, your other thing that Splunk could have done, right, was just I mean, they they could have just issued another to your, you know, what you're saying. They could have done it now. They could have said, like, we're going to we're going to do a secondary offering to the market. We're going to sell another billion dollars worth of stock. Right. But that would have right. been kind of shown as I think the market could say that was weakness. They need money. They're not doing well. They're diluting their shares. Right. So that would have maybe yeah. put downward yeah. pressure on on the stock where you do it this way. And it's like, look how exciting it is. Right. Like these people believe we're worth more than than what it is today. Shouldn't yeah. you be buying? And I, I will say yeah. I was surprised. I haven't followed Splunk as closely. I was really surprised to see how down they were comparative to the market. I always think of like, you know, Splunk is just like, well, everyone's got it right. Everyone's got some Splunk. But it looks like their conversion or uh, their path to the cloud has been maybe more bumpy than um, I would have thought. So we'll see what happens. All right. All right. Well, we can start the clock for the uh, the countdown to, I think it's July, 2026. And uh, we'll, <laughs> Stay we'll, tuned. See, we'll see what happens. Tune in then. I, I, yeah. I think uh, my takeaway is I wish I could invest like Silver Lake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They seem to know what's going on. That's nice. Uh, well, you know, once again, if anyone would like to fund the software defined talk, uh, anything to do with any of this, you know, whether we're uh, investment banker advisors or uh, fund managers, I think, uh, I think would be great. You, we'll, you we'll can give us your all. Oracle loyalty points. We'll take those and, and turn them into uh, <laughs> Roth IRAs or something. Yeah. Yeah. We'll only make our interns work 80 hours a week. Like, and, and uh, it's going to be a real quality of life thing. That, that'll be good. Well, I think, I think my advice uh, based on my reading is that uh, Splunk should take that billion dollars and put it in a Roth IRA. I think that will pan out well for them. And, I think they uh, should invest in PayPal. Yes. Well, that's, that's step one, step one. Well, uh, do we have any bureaucracy this week, Brandon? Uh, just a couple of things. One, just want to let everyone know, if you want a sticker, just send your postal address to stickers at Software Defined Talk. I'd be happy to send you a sticker uh, anywhere in the world. I've probably not been saying that enough. So send, send me some emails. I want to get rid of some of these stickers. Also, I want to let you know that Jordy wants you to work at Weaveworks. Looks like they have uh, GitOps opportunities around the world, including Austin, Texas, as well as just, I don't know, pretty much every region. So if you're looking for a job, check that out or find Jordy in the Slack. He'll be happy to give you some details on it. And then Matt, Matt is going to uh, launch a new pat- podcast. So Matt, we, uh, Christopher wrote in with two <laughs> titles for you, for your new podcast. Whoa. The first is... The main event, 
Like like what he did there? Ah, okay. that was pretty yeah, good. Yeah. I don't know. Did, that one I can tell. That didn't, didn't it. And the other one was, uh, I think we have a couple ways to say it. Going native or go, with the K being silent, K native, <laughs> oh. going K native with the K in uh, parentheses. I thought these were both fantastic suggestions. So there, there was the, the cloud, Na- cloud natives podcast. They went silent about a couple years ago. Yes. Yeah, so you have a lot of puns off native, I guess, is, is your, it's going gonna, gonna to be hard for you to decide we'll, we'll if you go that route. We'll, we'll come up with something, I'm sure. So uh, I just re- I just recommend Matt's K hole. I think that's, that's what you need to go for. K holes. I don't know. I mean, falling down a K hole. That's another uh, one. There's a lot of good John ones Denver, for man. you. Me and so, John Denver. So yeah. uh, or with sleeping horses, you could call it that too. <laughs> that don't, you really go deep there. Uh, well, there's a, there's several conferences. Uh, you know, the uh, I think KubeCon is going to be in person. I forget what date that is. October sometime. That'll be exciting. Uh, so you can you can look into that in Los Angeles. Uh, as they say, there's also uh, the uh, most handsome man at uh, Matt Ray's job has some free K native event training coming up. You should check that this out. Is true. And uh, there's also the Rabbit MQ Summit, July 13th and 14th. There's uh, that conference uh, where hopefully they're going to talk about cephalopods, July 26th and 29th. And of course, we'll be having Spring One, uh, September 1st and 2nd. We finalized yet another round of talks. They're they're looking good at least in my track, uh, and you know VMworld somewhere out in the future. There's there's a little conference that I'm helping work on around VMworld as well. Which uh, stay tuned, and that that should be a nice one to come to uh, as well. So, you know, if you want to join our Slack, talk about things during the week. Uh, we always have lots of conversation going in there. Lots of links. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find the Slack link up above, and you can uh, join. I still believe that Slack does not let people just auto sign up. I'm sure there's some extensive slides and uh, battle cards and why that's a yes. great feature and people should appreciate it rather than complaining about it endlessly. But thanks to uh, no SSHJJ, you can sign up automatically and we do not have to approve uh, what you have. Now, now, unfortunately, our mysterious free trial ended as I was reminded of multiple times a day when I logged into <laughs> Slack. Uh, so there won't be any archives or... I don't really understand what that means. It doesn't matter. Uh, but you should check that out. And if you want to get the show notes, there's lots of, uh, lots of links, things we didn't mention. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 307. And we don't mention this very often, but there is a newsletter that goes out every week that is just the show notes uh, that you can also subscribe to. So it, it is like a, a heavy linking newsletter, all sorts of stuff in there, including some notes on the largest convenience store that is soon to be built. In Texas, of course, which you could uh, follow up on. But large convenience stores aside, and as glorious as those are, I'm going to be dreaming about that tonight. A large convenience store with five types of pickled garlic that I could peruse. I could buy a complete outdoor patio set probably. And, uh, you know, more more Coca-Cola than any person can consume. Uh, at least all of outside of America, probably. <laughs> all of it brought to you by Cooper. <sighs> Just think of all the free mustard and napkins, free ketchup that they have there. You could just go live in a Bucky's and uh, <laughs> probably not pay very much and they might be happy for it. The bathrooms smell a little weird, not in a pee way, but in their, their strange cleaning thing. And they have those animated cowboys that might scare you when, when you walk in, which I could do a little bit less with. But with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Well, first off, I feel like I've got to now recommend uh, 24 hours at Bucky's. So I'll put that in. I'll drop that link in there if you if you really want to see what it's like. Someone's done it. Someone's tried to live at a Bucky's at least for a short period of time. Um, the other things, 
I want to recommend one, you know, Coach A, uh, thanks for mentioning it earlier, but I wanted to thank uh, Brian and Aaron over at the Cloudcast. They uh, were luck, uh, nice enough to have me on, so I made an appearance this week. So if you don't listen to the Cloudcast already, you should just go, um, go to thecloudcast.net, I believe. But more importantly, just subscribe to it in your podcast player. You can hear, hear me doing a bunch of hot takes. Uh, and then I think two things uh, that just popped up in pop culture this week, so it reminded me of some stuff I'd seen back, is... Uh, one, I don't know if everyone's following the Britney Spears. She's trying to get out of her conservatorship. So I watched this a while back, Framing Britney Spears on Hulu. I guess it's done with a joint venture with the New York Times, where they actually go through the history of how she got to where she was and like all the legal things. It was actually quite entertaining. So if you want to like catch up on like what's going on with Britney Spears, check that on Hulu. And then we didn't talk about it, but uh, I guess John McAvee, you know, uh, died uh, in a Spanish prison this week, but there was a documentary, uh, I guess it's called Gringo, The Dangerous Life of John uh, McAvee that was filmed, I don't know, several years ago. So it's been a while uh, since I've seen it, but it was it was crazy then. And I think his life only got more crazy since then and obviously ended in tragedy. So if you're looking for some stuff outside of tech or in the popular culture, check some of that stuff out. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Uh, my my choices this week. Uh, I've been watching. Well, I, I finished uh, another Netflix series called "We Are the Champions." Um, a very enjoyable, nice and short, because essentially they take um, some sort of contest uh, that's fairly out of the mainstream and and you know dive into it. Uh, there was the uh, chili pepper eating contest, the dog dancing, um, and the downhill running. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's entertaining and a short dose of, you know, 30 minutes an episode or so. And, uh, uh, definitely enjoyed, uh, that series. And then as, as everyone in, uh, the Northern hemisphere is complaining about the heat of, uh, their summers, um, I just got myself some new, uh, office slippers. So, uh, I'm going to recommend my, <laughs> my, my ultra ideas, cozy slippers, uh, keeping me nice and warm as, uh, it, the Australian winter uh, strikes back. So that's my picks. Hmm. Now, wait, did you say dogs running downhill? No, dog dancing. So, dog dancing. so one of the episodes, one of the episodes follows uh, the, the Russian dog dancing team as they attempt to uh, win the national, the, the world championships yet again. And uh, there's some dedicated people. And in which case we learned that the, uh, the head of the, uh, the Russian dog dancing team, she doesn't like dancing, but she's in it for the dog training. <laughs> in it for the dog training. Well, that that, that does sound uh, like something. Yes, I guess I don't. I don't like dancing. <laughs> well, I have a uh, I have a uh, uh, a local recommendation here. There's there's a little ice cream shop, and I just looking up a link to it. I found out that they have three locations here in Amsterdam, which is which is delightful. But uh, there's one right in our neighborhood called uh, La La Ice. Uh, and, uh, and they spell it. They're funny. They smell ice. It smell, they spe- spell ice as in the, uh, the I river with a capital I and a J funny thing. I don't know if this is true, but I, that I read about the I river is no one really knows where the name came from. It being one of the major rivers of Amsterdam, I guess the Thames or the Thames. How do they say that? I don't think people really know where that name comes from either, but anyways, Lala ice is this little ice cream shop. And I'm pretty sure they make all of their own ice cream. And they have all these weird flavors like cardamom and other things. They have got some more classic flavors, but it's fun to go in there. Uh, and it's, you know, relatively cheap. And uh, just to see what wacky flavors they have. Now, I like to go there and get a matcha with coconut milk. And they also have matcha flavored ice cream. So you have to be careful to say matcha the drink. 
they always get confused by that, except the one guy who knows me now. Uh, but you should check that out. La La Ice here in Amsterdam. Three uh, locations, it looks like. They're uh, darn tasty. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 307. All sorts of other stuff there. We've got interviews with people and uh, also us talking. We stream this nowadays. If you go to twitch.tv slash SDT podcast, you can watch it weekly, usually on Thursdays at the same time, which you wouldn't know what time it was if you're listening to a podcast. But just tune in at whatever time it is and see if we're there. That'll be good. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. We had a lot of, a lot of dad talk there at the beginning.